Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a podcast to help you save the best and burn the rest of your cultural and faith Christmas practices. <laughs> Just had to throw in the word Christmas there. Of course. Uh, yeah, we're, well, we are feeling, well, I, at least I'm feeling very festive. Um, and uh, I think also a little bit sad because this is the last podcast for the year. Yeah, no, it is pretty sad. But it's also, I mean, it's also a milestone. It's amazing to think that we've come this far. Like, we didn't we didn't start, like, right on, bang on 2018 uh, as, a, as a, out of the gate. But we, this is almost, almost two years. Um, so it's pretty mm. crazy. Um, this is our second Christmas episode, so yeah, we're kind of becoming old now in, a, in, a pod- in the podcasting world. <laughs> we're maturing. Yes. Yeah, we're hitting maturity. Uh, but I guess it's not only the last podcast of the year, it's also the last podcast of the decade. Whoa. Wow. As in, the last Burn the Haystack podcast of the decade, not the last podcast period, yeah. because yeah. there might be others that release. But yeah. it'll be close. <laughs> yeah, it will be, absolutely um, And yeah, I, I guess this episode is quite special Because today we get to kind of look back on the decade that was And, and reflect and stroke our beards For those of us who have beards um, And uh, wax poetic about uh, <laughs> about the the decade that was So yeah, special, special It is, I'm excited So uh, today we decided to just Open the floodgates, uh, so we have not just Josh and Jesse here, but we also have Josh and Laura, so the entire Burn the Haystack team is all here in one podcast. We've never done this before. So welcome, Josh and Laura. Hello, thanks for having us. Laura gets stroking that beard. (laughs) Yeah, I'm stroking my amazing beard right now. (laughs) (laughs) And... uh, yeah, so we're all we're all feeling we're all feeling pretty festive. It's it's I don't know. I think it's awesome to have everybody together. I've been kind of like thinking in my head it'd be awesome to just have everybody together in one episode for ages, but we didn't really have the right opportunity. But now here we are. It's perfect. Mm. It's all come together. Uh, and so what we're gonna do today? Um, I just we have like a little group chat basically, and I just put the question out to um, to the team. Hey, what have been your big like your favorite three things from this past decade um, which is a pretty broad question and uh, we've all kind of taken it in our own way a little bit which is cool I kind of wanted to leave the question a bit broad so that the answers could be a bit broad too um, we kind of had a little bit of a debate but we about what we think exactly the episode should be on but we just thought if we just say our f- favorite three things from the decade um, Part of that is going to be like haystacks we've had burned in our own lives. Part of that's going to be faith milestones. Part of that's going to be cultural cultural trends. It's all very on brand. So um, <laughs> so this episode will just be a bit of fun. And uh, I don't know. I'm excited to, to hear the conversation. Um, and, uh, you know, before we before we get underway, we'd also love to hear what your favorite three things have been from the last decade. So make sure you get in touch with us about it. I'm going to say that at the beginning rather than saying it at the end because I really want everybody to do that. It's a time for reflection. It's a time for looking back. It's a time for learning lessons from the past to carry into the future. Mm. Mm. I don't know. Very don't well know. said. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, okay, well, hey, um, to start off, Jesse, why don't you just start us off? Well, you, you, can, you can be the first. You can take us away. What has been your first of three favorite things from the past decade? Okay. I am honored to go first. Um, 
I think my I think my the first one. This is this is a bit of a throwback. Um, this is seven eight years ago, um, and that's the year two thousand and twelve. Um, how many of us remember the lead up to the year two thousand twelve with the craze of the Mayan calendar ending <gasps> in two thousand twelve? Yes. Didn't they make a really yeah, terrible movie? Yeah. About it as well. Yeah. Called 2012. Yeah, exactly. Yes. 2012. I recall, I, I actually forgot about this because when we were discussing this, I only had two things on my list. So I was like, what else has happened this decade? <laughs> I remember sitting in my uncle's dining room with my dad and my uncle going, guys, the world's about to end in two minutes. Let's get the last selfie ever. <laughs> and so there's someone on my Instagram feed, I swear, a photo of us <laughs> in 2012. That is it, great. If that is still on your Instagram, if that's still on your Instagram, I'm going to see if I can Josh, find this photo and post to, it yeah. in the Burn the Haystack group. We need to dig oh, yes, that up. <laughs> it is amazing. Well, I, I don't know about you guys, but 2012 was was a landmark year for a lot of people, myself included. It was the first year that I was out of out of school. I I finished school in 2010, and I took a gap year. And then I went to, yes, Josh, I'm young, you're old, it's okay. <laughs> that was to Josh, 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 not to that's Josh. <laughs> Josh, you, Josh Wood had a, a degree under his belt, a career under his belt. By that point, you, uh, you, were just, you were just coming into Avondale College for the first time, for the first time or the second time? For the uh, first time. Right. So I do- bought a house by then. Oh, my goodness. Wow. I didn't know that. <laughs> I was sitting my HSC, so I'm the baby here. <laughs> wow, little uh, Laura. I know. That's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, 2012 was a big year for for many of us. HSC, um, my first year at Avondale, and everybody thought the world was going to end. And I don't know how many people actually thought the world was going to end, but yeah, there was a huge movie movie made out of it. It wasn't that good, but it was definitely a spectacle. Um, Mm. I enjoyed it for that, for the spectacle quality alone. And it's, you know, it's funny, that movie was basically like Noah's Ark, if Noah's Ark was like today. Um, that was quite funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember going into Avondale thinking, well, I'm studying theology. Um, I'm dating a girl. Maybe I'll marry her one day. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, turns out you married her one day. Turns Spoiler out alert. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I was... You know, part of me was was like, this is this is ridiculous. This is not going to happen. But there was a small part of me that was like, what if the world actually ends and I don't get to accomplish all the things that I want to accomplish um, in my life? You know, just starting out in theology. What if this like whole Avondale year is like the biggest waste of time because I never actually finish and the world ends? And it was, yeah, there was a small part of me that actually was kind of suspicious about that. Um, so I'm not afraid to admit that. But yeah, mm. <laughs> ah, that's that's fair. I thought you were going to say 2012 was your favourite year because that's the year that you and I really truly met. <laughs> that was what uh-huh. I was going to cap off this entire talk with, Josh. So thank you for preempting me. It was the year that <laughs> I'm I sorry, was I'm just spoiling to... everything, aren't I? I I'm pretty sure I met you in 2011 at a conference or something, but then we actually like fully met and and like yeah. developed a relationship. Actually connected. Yeah. yeah, actually connected. I was able to bask in the in the bearded. Actually, it may not have been a bearded glory at that. There was point. no bearded glory at that stage. There was more hair on the top of your head, but there was no there beard. was. Yeah, 
Yeah. We might need to throw back a photo of Josh with hair on his head rather than on his face as well. He definitely mm, we should. looks like a completely different human being. I will say that. Um, so, But yes, the year of basking in the glory of Josh Wood, meeting Josh Stothers for the first or second time. I think we may have yeah, met... something like that. Yeah. So that was good times. Good times. Yeah. And- good. It's, it's funny. When you brought up 2012 and you were saying this big momentous thing happened in 2012... And I don't know if anybody else is going to talk about this, but the first thing that came to my head was Coney 2012. Oh, yes. yes. Uh, I forgot that happened. <laughs> it did happen. I think that was that was sort of the first time. I mean, this is not on my list at all, but that was sort of the first time I realized the power of like social media and stuff. Yes. Was that the beginning of the viral movement? It was the beginning of the I... slacktivist movement. Definitely. Definitely. 2012, it was a, it was a long, it was a long time ago in the like, the decade you know but it was a big year it was a big year it was um yeah actually really wait actually i think it might come up in my one that i'm going to talk about hang on i'm just going to check this that when you and Nell got together (laughs) uh yes actually we should just add a little side note um oh no the one i was going to talk about is a year later okay anyway side note we were going to all mention that we got married in this last decade but we decided not to include that in any of our top three because we thought it's kind of boring if all of us say the same thing. Yeah. So if you're going to just add, obviously the number one thing for all of us is that we all got married this decade, but we didn't include it. But yes, we I, all, I started... We got all married met... to our separate partners. Yeah. <laughs> yes, not to each other. We all got married. <laughs> I think we all, didn't we all, we all met our our future married partners in this decade and got married to them as well. Hey, because I met Karina in 2010. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, I met Danelle in 2011. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I met Bass in 2013 and we got married in 2018. There you go. Hmm. Slow to the party. How long was it between, like, you guys all meeting and getting married? Uh, as in, like, how long did I date my partner? Yeah. Before? Um, Bass and I got married on our five year anniversary. Oh, <laughs> cute. I know, so it's a bit sentimental. Yeah. See, we were less uh, than two years from dating to marriage. Uh, That's insane. <laughs> we were 2011, we met, and 2015, we got married. Okay. Kind I of, think... Kind of standard, I guess. I think Karina and I are probably the worst because we met in 2010. We got we started dating late 2010, and then we got married early 2016. So, six years. Oh, you guys win. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> win in, in sadness so we had like a two-year-long engagement which is you know partly why it was so long i think we dated for like three four years and then we yeah got engaged and then we were engaged from 2014 to 2016 yeah which is i, I wouldn't think it's hard that. when you start dating so young um yeah. bass and i we were 18 we were like fresh into college and um we were obviously very committed to our relationship and really serious about it but it's like we couldn't get married at 19 or yeah. whatever. We yep. had no money and no anything, you know, <laughs> barely out of the nest. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Yeah. All right, cool. Just highlighting the fact that I was significantly older than everyone again. Oh, thanks. no, <laughs> you, you knew what, what you wanted, hey, Josh. Up? You knew what you wanted. What when you saw her, you were like, no messing around. We're just going to lock this down. Let's get yeah. to business That's to defeat it. the Huns. All right. What else have we got as our number ones, guys? That's right. Uh, Laura, 
Yeah, sure. Um, so when you posted this question, I took it as like the three biggest milestones of the decade. And so I applied that to myself and thought on Burn the Haystack, I would share my faith milestones, like burning my own haystacks. So hopefully some other people can relate to this. But um, in 2011, I flew to Tennessee and stayed there for a month with um, a lady called Brielle, who is absolutely lovely and is cousins with one of my friends in Australia. And so we randomly got connected and I stayed with her. And that shook up my faith big time because the church that I grew up in in Australia was a split church. We were we had just split. And, of course, like any big church split, it was on worship styles. And um, I was part of the very liberal movement that wanted to do, like, Hillsong music and have a very relaxed, interactive church style. And then it was like it was sort of like us versus them was like them was like the old people and there was all this uproar that they wanted to spend like 20 grand on an organ and um they used to tell us off for playing soccer in the courtyard on a sabbath and stuff so (laughs) it was this very i think i had a lot of disdain for conservatism and that whole strain i just i didn't understand it i was angry at it there was a lot going on anyway and i went and i lived in for a month and I went to school with Brielle and um, we went to the generation of youth for Christ and all of these very conservative Adventist things in the Bible Belt. She herself was so conservative and that shook me right out of my comfort zone because I was all alone. I was 16 or 17 over there and um, it really taught me to see the beauty in conservatism, like to actually put myself in someone else's shoes and see why that conservative people are not like a stickler for rules that are out to put everyone down on purpose. It's actually because they have so much respect and so much awe for their creator God that um, that's why they live their lifestyle in that way. And I just remember landing back in Australia, like coming off the plane and being like my whole worldview of how I see other people has changed from this one experience. Yeah. So that was my first big like, faith milestone, I think, as a young adult. Um, a haystack burnt, I guess you could say. Mm, yeah. But yes, hello to anyone in Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> That's awesome. I, really like, you get a, yeah. I like how you've kind of looked at that from the beauty in conservatism. Because mm. I think oftentimes from, you know, and let's be quite honest, most of us, well, all of us on the Burn the Haystack team probably have a, a lean towards more contemporary worship styles. But yeah. to actually stop and recognize, even at like 16 or 17, that there is a beauty in the other side of things. Yeah. And I think it took me being plucked entirely from my family and friends and into whole community and being just plunged in the deep end of, um, you know, the deep south Bible belt to realize it. Mm. Yeah, it was awesome. It was very cool. Wow. Huh. Wow. So that's my first that is... milestone. So... Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I th- I think it's a it's a good reminder like how important it is to and I think we've talked about this in the last couple episodes a bit, but just like the importance of spending time with people with a different worldview than you. Um, like I mean, I had a similar sort of experience even moving to New Zealand and um, pastoring here at the church I was at. They were a lot more traditional than what I was used to, but I had the same sort of experience. I don't think it's quite the same as going to the Bible Belt, Tennessee, you know, but. <laughs> 
<laughs> but for me, it was it was huge. Just and just understanding why they why they do what they do, why they see the things like and, and it, that's it. It just comes down to a a huge respect for the word and um, just wanting to do it. Yeah, I get as best they can into their understanding, and it really gave me a huge respect for it, and it's really changed me for the better. I think so. I think it's important that we we all, I don't know, learn from that. Yeah, it has. It definitely increases empathy. I think, and has helped me <laughs> get along better with other people in the congregation, and like work better on teams and stuff because I understand a bit more of how that person works. Mm. And yeah, it's be. I would highly recommend to shake things up and get out of your shoes. Mm. and just see things from another person's perspective sometimes the hard way like i might have (laughs) (laughs) that's cool yeah that's awesome ah i love that all right uh josh wood yeah look i'm gonna go with um from a, a faith church perspective as well so i'm just gonna go straight in and let's get deep on this one um the thing that probably was really impacting for me this decade uh, was 2015, then the fallout in 2016, 17, 18, and now 19, which was the the vote at the General Conference in San Antonio on women's ordination mm-hmm. um, and the ripple effect that that has had right around the world and the fact that we recognise that the Seventh-day Adventist Church started in that kind of northeastern part of North America uh, and the general conference is still based in North America yet our membership is largely elsewhere now but we have such a representative form of governance that whilst the the mentality of church in the United States may have changed and also the the Western world more broadly the voting public for our church is in more I suppose, less developed areas, places like Africa or South America or you, you name it. And these, these areas are perhaps more conservative, Laura, that beauty of conservatism comment that you made. Um, and so now there's this kind of tension around the world within can't do and the interpretation of what that vote actually meant had a lot of women who were employed as pastors being almost ostracized by their congregations, even though the vote never said they couldn't be pastors. It just said that we will continue down the route that we're not ordaining women to the gospel ministry. Um, and so that that was a huge turning point, I think, because, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I, had, I myself wasn't as invested in general conference sessions to that point in time, um, but it was probably the first general conference session that was truly worldwide and everyone knew about it as soon as it was happening. Yeah. Um, perhaps mm-hmm. the, the other thing that was really key was that I was actually present in San Antonio, so I felt the angst. Mm-hmm. I felt the tension. Wow. I felt, you know, I heard the conversations on those that it affected, um, perhaps more so. And it was a real huge turning point because it, you know, it's gone on and on and the debate is still waged and we've had, you know, GC annual councils discussing this as well. So... I think the the stance our church has taken on women in ministry, um, as far as recognizing them at the same level as the men in ministry, is a huge turning point, especially for the younger generations in the Western world that we live. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it was the first general conference that I really took notice of as well as a uh, college student. I I remember um, 
watching the live stream with a bunch of other theology students at the time and um a whole bunch of them who were um who were who were ladies uh and i just remember you know one of them was so uh i guess jaded and cynical about yeah. the whole thing she was just like yeah i know what's gonna happen you know and she was predicting it and predicting it we were like no have hope come on maybe maybe they'll vote you know the other way and yeah sure enough you know she predicted it right and um yeah it was a it was kind of a, a dark time for for those of us yeah. in the theology department in, in in like uh liberal avondale you know liberal kurundwang liberal south pacific yeah. division <laughs> yeah yeah and the thing that really kind of got me and I, I came back from that and i was preaching the first sabbath back i was preaching at my church and i was preaching on like the power of prayer because the thing that i found really interesting in the whole discussion was people were praying for this vote for a long time in the lead up to it. Um, and the thing that I had observed is that people when praying, you know, if they were on the, the side where we don't want women ordained, they were saying, God, can you please make this vote not go through, make it a, a negative vote according to your will. Um, and then those who were wanting the vote to go through would be, God, please let this vote go through according to your will. Rather than anyone, I think, praying, God, whatever your will is, mm. allow that to happen. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Can I just pop in as the token woman of this podcast today and say it is so, so good to hear you guys as men, as like professional pastoral men, talk about how much women's ordination affected you and how important that is to you. And just like some of the podcasts, that you have done, Josh and Jesse, where you've touched on this kind of stuff and women in the church and what that experience is like has just, like, been so good for my soul. And, like, I think I even teared up the very first time that you talked about it and how, like, of course women should be up the front and stuff because so often with these, like, women's ordination and et cetera, other things that come up with women in church, it's, like, I feel like, oh, it's a women's problem. That's... Mm. The women are struggling with that. But then the men, like, not much has changed for you guys. You still have all the same, like, systems yeah. groups to jump through as per normal. And so you don't, uh, you know, you just continue life as normal. And I feel like the conversation in men, I don't hear it. I hear women being like, this is so unfair. How is this happening? How can we make it better? But we know we can't do it without the men on side. And just to hear men being like, yeah, this is a problem and we're on your side is like, oh, my gosh. It's, it's so good for the soul. So I'm sure there are other women out there listening that are also so grateful for your being open and honest and sharing your position on it instead of just remaining quiet, like, oh, it's a women's issue. Thanks, mm. Matt. Oh, thanks, Laura. That's, <laughs> it's, You're welcome. It, it's, it's one of those things, like, I just remember when I was at college, even, and, and thinking about this, and I think that was the first time for me that I really recognized when, when that vote happened and everything, it was kind of when I really realized, oh, wow, like, maybe I'm not like the rest of the world, church. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was like, oh, maybe I'm different, which was a very strange thought to think all of a sudden you felt like you didn't belong in your own church. Yeah. The challenge is, why do we have to all think and act the same? Why can't we celebrate the the diversity of exactly. thought? Yeah, that was, that's the, that was the journey after, but it's, yeah, it's... Uh... Because the reality is in my experience in my life, and most of this is in the past decade, so I'll, I'll say this, there have been probably two really influential pastors in my life, both of whom are women. Um, 
so Moy Styles, who's currently ministering in oh, yeah. Oregon, would be possibly the first real kind of connection I had with a woman pastor. She was our youth director here in the conference that I now work in. Um, and she pushed me and pushed me and sowed so much into me to kind of encourage me into ministry the, to the point that when I told her one time that I wasn't going to be able to do something, she's gone, is that because you're going to be at Avondale studying ministry? Like she knew the path I was on before I did. <laughs> wow. um, and the other pastor who sowed into me is your mum, Josh. And she, like, she knows this because I talk with her all the time. Um, mm. But you know, it's such a unique experience, I suppose, especially for you, having grown up in a family where your mum is a pastor, to then go, what? Women are actually subjected to to hate, essentially, because of the job they're in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mind-bending, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. Two legendary women pastors. No bias at all from me. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. What's your, your number one, Josh? Uh, I mean, I didn't have these as like, this is my number one most important thing, but one of three, um, <laughs> um, it was actually the album Zion by Hillsong United came out in 2013. Um, great, great album. Um, so this was their, I think, second studio album. The first one was in 2011, Aftermath. And I remember I'd been kind of on the journey with Hillsong United before this. And 2011, when they released Aftermath, was so different because it was all in studio. It wasn't like a live worship thing. It sounded really different. It had more keyboards. And I was like, oh, wow. And I felt like that was a bit sort of experimental and changing direction. But I felt like when they hit Zion was when they really hit their stride and they knew the new direction they were in. And for me, just so many songs off that album have just been so impactful on my journey. And we sung a lot of them at college, but like Oceans... Scandal of Grace, like just they're the big two for me. Mm. And um, even Mercy Mercy is probably my favorite, most underrated worship song of all time. It's just that song. I've never worship led it. I've never heard it sung anywhere, but it's my favorite, you know, just because it's mine. You know, I love it. It's just always spoken to me so strongly. Um, so for me, yeah, Zion was, um, yeah, just such a such an amazing and helpful album. And I still listen to it today, like... I still go back and listen to it so often and something really cool about it. I felt like I remember when I felt um, when I first came to New Zealand and it was really quite a struggle for me when I first got here, I was just feeling so like out of place and I got invited to speak at a, at a teen camp further North from where I was. So it was up in Rotorua and I was down in Palmerston North and I was driving up um, on the way to go there with Danelle and we were driving through this area and we looked around and we, we realized that, wait a second, this place is familiar. We've seen this before. And um, when we got sort of to the other side, we were going through Desert Road. And when we got to the other side, we realized what it was. And it was actually the album cover of that Zion album was photos. And we saw that exact location and we realized. And so it felt like it had sort of come full circle that this album that had been so helpful for me, my whole journey, it was like, oh, now I'm in the place where the out, al- like it was just the album artwork. But, you know, for me, it was mm. it was really cool to see that again. And we looked it up and everything. And we were like, oh, wow, it's all it's all connected. You know, and it just felt <laughs> so, so reassuring, you know. Um, so that album for me, it's just been hugely impactful. Hmm. Um, and yeah, it was awesome to see as well, like so many of those songs as well get sung at, at, while we we're at college and everything. So I think they're just a part of a lot of our generation's journey. Hmm. 
Yeah, That's for awesome. sure. Music is so powerful. That's cool. Mm. Mm. Yeah. See, contemporary music does stand the test of time, even if it's only been seven years since then. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, that's so funny. Cool. Uh, cool. Yeah. So that's, all right. That's my one. All right. Shall we keep going, Jesse? Let's do it. Yeah, yep. we better keep moving. All right. Uh, second one for me. Uh, I don't know if this is on any of your lists. I would imagine it, it probably was pretty close, but probably the 2016 election was uh, the presidential election for the uh, United States was a yes. a big one. Um, not for me personally, but I think for the world, definitely. Um, yeah. and I'm glad that um, Joshua had mentioned uh, San Antonio in 2015 because whilst that wasn't exactly coinciding with the election. I think it was coinciding with the lead up to the election where um, especially Donald Trump was starting to rally um, his supporters and we were starting to see a shift from the, um, the, the two terms that President Obama had where I think everybody felt that America was, and, and by extension, I suppose the world, was moving in a very different direction, a more, I suppose, tolerant, you know, look, we have the first black president of the United States. Look how advanced we are. Look at how, you know, progressive and, and moving forward we are. And everybody was really celebrating that the fact that look at, you know, look at America, look at what we've done. You know, this is such a huge milestone. And I know for many people, the 2016 election felt like a huge um, step backwards Um and I know that yeah. not all of our listenership feels that way. Um, and I don't want to get too political because, you know, we're not political analysts on this podcast. But I think culturally it did shift something. Um, culturally, it, it did make waves. And I think that every faith tradition, every workplace, um, every uh, nonprofit has definitely been affected not maybe not specifically by the 2016 election or Donald Trump, even though the world seems to have been obsessed with him ever since his election. It seems to be there's nothing else in the news. Like he always has a spot in the news. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, late night show hosts have, you know, pounded him to death with their monologues and their and their satirical bits. Um, but he just gives them so much material. Yeah, yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. Um, but it seems like we're in a... We're in a post-Donald Trump world in a way, um, which is kind of a crazy thing to say. And it definitely would have seemed like an insane thing to say four or five years ago, but that's the reality that we live in now. Um, yeah. yeah. Jesse, do you think, because I, I was thinking about this just yesterday, actually, you know, the, the conservative elections results, so, you know, US 2016, but then even, say, Brexit and then the British yes. re-election just recently of yes. Boris Johnson as Prime Minister, which Landslide. no one really predicted. Yeah. Um, even here in Australia, we've had the return to power of the Liberal government, which was seen as, you know, too conservative. Yeah. And there's this turn in the Western world to, like, this conservative governance. Do you think, to some extent, that perhaps... The Adventist Church was a precursor to that, even in 2010, with the election of Ted Wilson as General Conference President. I I think there's definitely some grounds for that. I think we are. Look, I think what it is, in some ways, is a reaction against postmodernism, perhaps, you know, because I know that um, not just Ted Wilson, not just um, Boris Johnson, not just um, 
Scott Morrison and, and, you know, in the political sphere, I think we've also seen a rise of people like Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, um, Milo Yiannopoulos, who kind of, you know, rose and then fell, you know, um, all these very different conservative voices um, who have become incredibly popular and almost a demonization of the left, uh, you know, which is mm. which is quite interesting. And um, yeah, we're seeing it all around. It's it, I don't know what, what it spells for the future, but we're definitely living in a more conservative world than we were five years ago. Definitely. I see it as like a giant pendulum swing. Like that's culture has kind of like gone one way. And when, um, like you say, we were quite liberal for a while and that comes with a lot of progress, which comes with a lot of change and humans by, we don't like change (laughs) as a general rule. And I think everyone was like, yeah, progress. Yeah. Changes. And we just go like, sure. Why are we here? Let's change everything. And everyone was like, wait, freaked out. And they just want to be, go back to like traditional values. And so we've swung so hard back the other way that um yeah it's it's scary to see i don't really know where we go next because it's only scary because extremes yes yes mm-hmm. um, can i suggest I'm not saying for, either way is right or wrong it's just the extremes that scare me definitely for looking at that intersection of culture and faith practices there's two books mm-hmm. that i think our listeners need to read on that one is the disappearing church by mark sayers and the other is the reappearing church by Mark. The guy just has a brain that looks at church and culture like no one else I've ever had the pleasure of understanding. Mm. Um, yeah. Seriously, those two books. Also, Jesse, can you, I, I think this is right up your alley, one day, can you burn the haystack of why the Conservative Party in Australia is called the Liberal Party? <laughs> that has... <laughs> can you please? Because I am so confused. It is the most confusing thing ever. <laughs> oh, don't yeah. get it. Thank you for the book shout-outs, Josh Wood. And I just wanted to add a little addendum to that. Even if you don't read those books, definitely listen to This Cultural Moment with Mark. I think we've talked about it a hundred times. But yeah. definitely go and give that a listen. Um, those two guys are right on the money when it comes to culture. Yeah. yeah. And John Mark Comer has actually just released a book too. I can't remember the name of it, but oh yeah, we'll see if we can figure out the name of that and maybe throw it in the show notes. Sweet. Mm. Sweet. Um, one of my, my second option um, for, for highlights of the year is travel and technology. Um, kind of as one in the technology of travel and the fact that the world is now quite accessible. Um, so my first overseas trip was in 2010, so just at the start of the decade we're talking about. Um, I've mm-hmm. just, I'm actually waiting probably today or tomorrow for my new passport to arrive because I've now re- you know, got to the end of that passport period and have to renew it. Um, but I went to India in 2010 on a mission trip and it just opened my eyes to how accessible the world is um, and also the needs in the world. Um, I went to India in November, December of 2010 and came back and just looked at the consumerism of Christmas. Sorry, Josh. Um, but just coming back and looking at how much we have compared to how little they have, um, and so 2010 was my first trip. Then I had the opportunity to go to the States in 2013. I lived in New York for six months with a wonderful group of people. So shout out to all of the Oyamas out there. Um, and then have just kept traveling ever since. Absolutely love it. Um, I think that 
if we have the opportunity to expose ourselves to other areas of the world and understand other areas of the world, even in relation to conversations around, say, the GC vote on women's ordination, if we understand the cultures that are voting against that, we might actually be able to to really understand that it may, it's not actually anything personal. It's just that they're in a different spot, perhaps mm-hmm. theologically and spiritually, and travels allowed us to, to really get to the point where we can have those conversations without it being too difficult. Um, and technology, even you know today, we're in f- four different locations, but yeah. able to have a conversation. And it sounds like to the listeners, we're all in the same room. So, <laughs> yeah. Mm. Mm. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah, my passport's the same, man. I've got to, I've got to renew it at the beginning of next year. You know, <laughs> I start, my first overseas trip was 2010, so yeah, I feel, I feel you with that. Yeah, I but definitely I think, think a lot that, more than me. I definitely think that this decade was the decade because, like, Facebook and Twitter and YouTube all started pre 2010s, but it was not really until post 2010 that social media and technology um, really accelerated to the point where. <laughs> This has become so easy to do, you know, yeah. back in the day before um, fiber internet, you know, all this stuff was accessible, but the level of accessibility has just exponentially exploded in this decade. Just on that, Jesse. Sorry, Laura, do you remember dial up internet? <laughs> vaguely. <laughs> yes. Yes, I do vaguely remember dial up internet. It made a, made a funny like noise, like a song. That it played while it was connecting. <laughs> I'm glad I asked that question just for that. Just that for yes. yes. Uh, you are so welcome. No, I was going to say Instagram came out in 2011. So that was in this decade. But um, just a side note as a marketer on what you were saying about um, how accessible social media is. When I first started as a marketer, um, like a few years ago, it was sort of like, oh, these are the optimum times to post each day yeah. on a different platform. And it would might be like, you know, on Facebook, it was like 6 p.m. after work, people would get home and log on. And now there is no optimal time yeah. other than like mm-hmm. maybe between like 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. You don't post at nighttime. Everyone is always online. Like we don't leave. Like back in the day, we're on MSN Messenger and you'd post like BRB. Oh. MSN Messenger. Is that anymore? We never leave. We leave the internet. The see, internet is. See, some of us were not on Messenger. We were on ICQ. I don't know Do what that is know. either. I remember MSN, and you could like nudge people, and the whole screen would vibrate. It was so annoying. <laughs> yeah. awesome. ICQ was the precursor to MSN Messenger, and it was wow. the letters I C Q. So it was like I see you kind of thing, oh. or I seek you. <laughs> that is funny. Right. Well, I'm going to go with my number two because I can bounce off that because mine was actually, and I don't know, maybe I have the date wrong, but um, Instagram was my number two because that I had that down as it released in 2010. Oh, really? It might have been. It's still this decade. Yeah, it is. Um, but it was funny because I feel like social media has always been something I've been, I've been fascinated with since Bebo. Um, <laughs> was the, way back. That was like the first introduction I had first to social media. Thing. Yeah, yeah same. Hmm. Um, and then we hit MySpace, which was like peak bullying um, social media, uh, social media, and how toxic can can social media get with one platform? And then um, 
But also it was like wildly creative too because you could just change everything. You just learned a bit of HTML and away you go. And um, Then Facebook was for old people, but then we took it and now we've given it back to old people again. Um, <laughs> Say that in a nice never way. We dabbled in it for I stalk a bit. everyone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much. Yeah, Facebook came fun for a few years and then it sort of got weird again. Um, but yeah, Instagram was the one that I felt like was always for us. You know, like it came out at the beginning of this decade and it's like what we sort of always wanted, well, at least what for me, like what I always wanted social media to be. It's like only really as public and detailed as you want it to be. Whereas like the others kind of felt like they were forcing you to get more information out of you. But Instagram's always just felt like, yeah, I, I don't know. For me, that that's that's how it's been. But It's almost like a um, visual journal diary or something of your own. Yeah. Yeah, so like that's why I've sort of appreciated it and it sort of seems to have stuck around um, longer than I thought it would and it keeps sort of just... I mean, Facebook bought it and whatever, but I remember at the beginning there was the race between Hipstagram and Instagram and we didn't really know which one was going to be the king. And then, um, I don't know, Hipstagram just died and then Instagram just went for it. Um, So, yeah, that's for me, Instagram, because it's just been so useful in so many areas of my life and, you know, I use it for... I follow musicians on it and I get that. I have spiritual pages, design pages, um, yeah, podcasts that I follow. Like, I feel like it's all the things I'm interested in are actually like there and present. Um, it's kind of leaning towards too many ads nowadays, but anyway. It's, yeah. I think if we go back, <laughs> I'm just going to springboard off that. If we go back to Laura's um, episode on the podcast about marketing and churches and stuff, it's so important for churches to be aware of the social media platforms available and truly utilize that as the front door to the church. Because the reality is if a church doesn't have a Google page or a web page or a Facebook or an Instagram, people of our generations are not going to even think you exist. Mm-hmm. So let's just recognize that social media is here to stay. Let's just utilize it for the best that it's got to offer. Amen. Yes. I'm clapping. Thank you. Very good. I'm so glad you listened to my episode. <laughs> Listen to every episode. <laughs> Dedication. A true yeah. fan. All right. Um, Laura, my take milestone home. is, again, a faith one. And my second milestone is um, when I moved away from home and I, I did this so that I could work full time in the city. Um, so now I spend about 95% of my time with people who not only don't have a faith, but also have a negative view of religion. Um, Mm. That was really confronting for me, and I had moved away from family and friends, but also my entire church community, so I didn't have those, like, you know, like-minded folk to be around. It was sort of Mm. like, ah, and when people at work or anywhere would find out that I was a religious person, it was sort of like, ooh, walls go up. Uh, Or they would want to question me on things, you know, why do you do things a certain way, like, we would go out for dinner as a work team and then I wouldn't want to eat the pork belly and then I would have to explain why I don't do that and I was like, why don't I do that? I have no idea. And there were so many things that came up like, oh, why don't Adventists drink alcohol? Or why is it sunset Friday to sunset Saturday? Why? Like so many things that came up because other people would just be like, oh, that's a weird thing that you do. Why do you do that? because I'd never had to question it before so it was a lot of um, haystack burning of like my personal traditions that I'd just done in my life 
because everyone else was doing them. And then mm. when everyone else was gone and it was just me doing them, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> this makes <laughs> yeah. um, So that was really eye-opening for me. So I had to do a lot of like personal um, reflection, I guess, and also be really intentional about my faith because I could no longer just rock up to Sabbath school do the Bible study with everyone else, go home and be like, yeah, I touched base with God this week because I was sort of, if you listen to my episode on marketing, I was really bad at um, joining a church community and finding that group. I was kind of just not really going to any church or Bible study or anything. So if I didn't have my community, I wasn't naturally being exposed to it and it would just fall off a cliff. So that being intentional and then like knocking, I've burnt so many haystacks and my faith and me as a person is totally different now than I was 10 years ago because of that change. Yeah. Wow. So that's my, mm. my haystack. Very cool. Mm. cool. Yeah. Which I got, you guys all pastors. So I'm the outlier here again, <laughs> but I, you work in Adventist groups, right? A lot of my teachers, uh, sorry, a lot of my friends are teachers and they work in an Adventist school. So mm. all of their friends are Adventists, their colleagues are Adventists, or at least Christian or aware of the faith at some level. And I am in these big corporate businesses where yeah. people think of Christianity and they're like, oh, the Catholic Church, oh, Cardinal George Pell, oh, sexual assault. Mm. You're yeah. with that? And then they're like, oh, the vote against letting gay people get married. Oh, you're with that? And they're like, oh, the fight against making abortion legal. Oh, you're with that? And I'm like, oh, wait. Yeah. Oh, no, actually, I don't agree with any of those things. It's- <laughs> Here's the challenge, though. Because I, you know, I had a career before ministry. Mm. Um, and we often go to church and we hear pastors you know, preaching and talking about the challenge of, you know, you need to be the salt and light of the world and, you know, show people Jesus in your work environments and blah, 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 blah. Mm. And it's really easy for a pastor to say that because 95% of our time is yep. spent with church-type people and pretty much 100% of our time is spent with people interested in faith, That's interested right. in Christianity. So yeah. it's great for us to say that, but it's actually the rubber meets the road with people like you, Laura, who are 95 to 100% of your time is actually with people of no faith. Um, sure. And in the post-Christian world in which we live, we need to recognize that perhaps we need to be drawing more on people like you to to not necessarily preach that message, but, you know, testimony almost to how difficult or what types of conversations are really happening because, I can I can tell you what I think's happening, but you're the one who's actually living it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I guess you could say in like an evangelical perspective, I'm on the front lines. Like <laughs> yeah. I, mm. I um I don't really see myself as an evangelist, but I definitely sense the vibe of what the general culture around me of like other people my age think mm. about Christians. And what they think. And it's just opened my eyes to see that, like, Adventism is such a bubble. Um, and there's sort of, like, right now I feel like this big Venn diagram. So there's this giant circle that's, like, the whole world. And then there's, like, a smaller circle that slightly intersects, and that's Christianity. And then there's a bubble down the bottom right-hand corner of Christianity that sort of oversex Christianity called Adventism. And Adventism <laughs> yeah. and my world right now they they don't seem to cross mm. and now that i'm out there in quote the real world um i'm looking at a lot of adventist adventist evangelical 
practices and the way that they try to reach community and, um, you know, like door knocking and stuff. And I'm like, whoa, that's so far. That would never burst my real world bubble. Yeah. That, um, and I kind of like, yeah, anyway, it definitely gives a whole new perspective again. But let's also think about, you know, tradition. someone living in the space that you live in. You know, the door knocking style of evangelism. You live in an apartment building. Good luck to anyone trying to door knock yeah. a whole apartment building. <laughs> yeah, it's a like really get to into be the honest. building to start with. Who's going to let them in? <laughs> yeah. And it's whoever really- lets them in is probably going to be, you know, ostracized by the rest of that apartment <laughs> building. I know. I know. I only let in my Uber Eats guy. So I think that <laughs> you, you could, we could do like Uber Eats evangelism. But... <laughs> that's so funny. Not a bad uh, idea. That's good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, so that that has been huge to to see culture not only doesn't know about my faith but, like, actively does not want anything to do with it, that I'm actually seen kind of poorly because I'm a Christian. It's not like, oh, you're a Christian, you have great uh, great morals and you love other people. It's like, oh, you're a Christian, so you must hate minorities. Yeah. Be really, like, strict on rules and be judging people. That's honestly what they jump to because they haven't grown up in a church. Yeah. This yeah. yeah, it's rough. It's rough. Yeah, it's confronting. But anyway, it's a whole topic mm. for another time. <laughs> and can I also say just really quickly, it's good to have Laura on the team. So you appreciated us. I just want to appreciate you, Laura. You keep us no, grounded. You. you give us a perspective that we would not have otherwise. So it is extremely You're in the real helpful. world. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in the real world. That's right. <laughs> Thank you, Jesse. All right. Let's move on to our number threes. Um, I'll just go. Uh, I'll be really quick. This is, we've already kind of talked about this already um, in our reference to social media, but it's kind of adjacent to that. And that's probably the slow or the accelerating death of traditional media and the rise of new media. Um, and I think this has definitely got to do with the rise of social media. It's an adjacent issue um, and one that we have definitely benefited from. And what I'm really talking about is the fact that especially millennials and Zoomers, um, we don't really watch TV anymore. We don't really listen to radio that much anymore. We don't really read the newspaper anymore. I don't think I've read the newspaper hardly ever in my entire life even when i was a, even when i was a kid and there were newspapers everywhere <laughs> um but we listen to podcasts and we watch youtube videos and we read blog posts and i think it's been this decade with the rise of youtube especially um twitch uh and uh podcasting that uh, independent media um has in- just accelerated and um traditional media which is cumbersome is expensive um it takes a lot of time and effort to produce and um we're seeing a real shift in journalism now uh where you know time magazine doesn't even pay its journalists anymore they get paid on commission based on clicks and and impressions and all that sort of stuff um so that's why we have clickbait that's why we have clickbait because now (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Laura can probably speak to this even more than I can, but like Mm. what we're seeing now is a world where journalists are not, we're not seeing journalists encouraged to do fact-checking. We're not encouraged, uh, journalists are not encouraged to be biased and middle of the ground and and centrist. They're um, encouraged more to generate uh, views and clicks, which often is, comes in the form of sensational headlines, sensational hot takes, um, not 
good journalism as far as the pedigree. And I think journalism as a, as a whole is suffering because of this. Um, Big time. Big time. Yeah. So what we're seeing now is we're seeing the rise of people like Jordan Peterson and Steven Crowder and many people on YouTube um, and, and podcasting now. I mean, Joe Rogan is, is absolutely massive. He has billions and billions of downloads and listens where, um, you know, the traditional talk show formats, the traditional interview formats, the traditional journalism formats, they're slowly going down um, because a lot of these companies aren't pivoting and changing they're kind of becoming the blockbuster of journalism in a way um refusing Mm. to accept and to um adapt to this changing world and so we're seeing the rise of well what we're doing right now uh so this has been the decade i think for me where um i've you know really started to take notice of this um podcasting is on the up and up and it doesn't look like it's slowing down anytime soon so yeah yeah just um i'll springboard off that for mine jesse you know the whole um blockbuster idea i think that's there's so much learning i've I've seen article after article on what the church needs to use from the demise of blockbuster learn from the demise of blockbuster is what i'm trying to say um my challenge or, or my number three interesting probably not um highlight for me but observation um which is probably odd saying it on a podcast. It's kind of like Sideshow Bob on The Simpsons saying TV's bad by using TV. Um, but is the whole notion that we have facility of so many different media now, you know, YouTube, podcasts, articles, blogs, um, all that kind of thing, that most of us are only listening to the things we agree with. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're not actually challenging our own thought. Um, We're not expanding our horizons and we're just getting stuck in this, I suppose, cacophony of our own view, which then riles us up to be more passionate about our own view because we think there's significantly more people perhaps that hold the same view as us than there really is, Um, which I think is what is kind of contributing to the tension perhaps in the church on opposing sides of different issues, but also Mm -hmm. in society on opposing sides of different issues. Um, and I, I wonder what that's going to, what effects that's going to have on society and the church at large, especially as we move into the next decade, how we're going to address this idea of let's actually encourage people to, to think and read and listen outside of their immediate sphere of influence and immediate sphere of, um, I suppose, initial topic that they want to listen to. Mm. The social media algorithm does not help with that. That's oh, yeah. really yeah. fueling the bubble situation for sure. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I hated even, especially when Instagram changed their their algorithm. Oh, it was horrible! Like going from a t- what was it? Just time of post feed to all chronological. Of a sudden, yeah. Yeah, chronological to now it's just like, oh, it's just based on what you like. So if I like a whole lot of things and I see more of that and oh, it drives me insane. Like especially on, on YouTube as well. It happens there too. And you watch one video of one perspective on an issue, then you get suggested like seven others of that same perspective on that same thing. So you just get like uh, indoctrinated pretty much so so easily. And I like I remember one the, the record Instagram of like oh, a yeah. building, like an architectural thing, and say like a New York streetscape or something. Then my whole explore feed is New mm. York streetscapes. It's like 
Yes. I want to see something else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but this is what you like, Josh. This is what you like. Like this. I want to explore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the terrifying uh, voice of Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember the record did a really great article. Oh. It was earlier this year, and it was actually a warning to people about um, becoming radicalized with certain views and being careful of, um, like, getting down into YouTube spirals on, on certain, like, uh, it was kind of, it was talking about independent ministries and a lot of, like, the radical sort of sermons and things they say, and then you get recommended more of them, so you feel like it's more true. And it was actually a warning, and they were actually sp- specifically in that article targeting, like, boomers and even builders, like those generations. <laughs> um, and they were, because they were saying they're the ones who just fall prey to it because they're not as used to it as we are, like, they yeah. didn't grow up with it, which is totally fair, so... yeah. Um, they don't understand how it works or why they're suddenly on this extremist article. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I th- I found that really interesting, and I was like, man, this is coming from the record. Like, yeah, that's amazing. Like, it must yeah, be significant. Just... Yeah. Shout out I'm... to the record though. They have a really good team, and they they have yes. like started their Instagram again this year. I think only a few months ago after yeah. it was dormant for like eight years, and they're killing it. Everyone, shout out. You should well done, the stack. on Instagram. I'm a fan. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, for those Aaron who are not familiar with uh, the record, editor. because they oh, yeah. are outside of Australia, New Zealand, and the SPD, or not in Adventism, the record is the shortened version for the Adventist record, which is our church's official publication. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Josh, breaking records in quick explanation. <laughs> All right, sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry, guys. All right. Um, all right, I'll go with my one, and then Laura, do you want to finish this off? Because your ones have all been really cool and deep so far, so I feel like your your one will be better to finish no yourself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, my one is actually a haystack that got burned for me kind of earlier in this decade, but believe it or not, before 2010, I was very strict with the media I consumed, and I when I sort of met Jesus um, again and sort of became a Christian again, I actually deleted all of my music that wasn't Christian music. Like, and I'd paid for all of it. Who even um, are you? I know. So I know. In the days no, but, of LimeWire? Yeah, well, <laughs> my computer pretty much got AIDS from LimeWire, so I had to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I no, I, I don't know. I just made a decision that I wanted to support the music industry, and so I started paying for everything. Um, so I didn't have as much music as everyone else, but I felt good because I paid for it all. But anyway. Um, but then, yeah, I actually deleted everything, stopped watching secular movies and all that kind of stuff. I got really strict with it. And then uh, pretty much when I went to Avondale was like a really breakout moment for me because I was talking to people and I can't even remember who it was, but I remember having a conversation. This is like in my first year with somebody. And they were telling me, I think they, they, were, they had like war, Warhammer, like the, the little models that you paint and stuff. And they were telling me just how meaningful it was to their their just like life and how it's helped them out of depression and all that kind of stuff and i was just sitting there like like and this person was like you know a christian as well and i was just thinking like wow like such something that in my head i'd sort of been told was evil and i used to play that and i was like oh but it's actually helping them out of depression and all that kind of stuff and then i remember you know watching like somebody telling me about a story in a video game and how they likened it to christ and that kind of thing and somebody with like a painting and they were saying like how inspiring it was and how it inspired them to do this thing in church and somebody told me like this song that they'd heard and how it inspired them to write this church song or you know what I mean and sitting there and it sort of was for me like a big turnaround and um, it's sort of become a big part of my identity now is actually recognizing 
um, God through artwork, like not just not just Christian artwork or anything like that, but all all of it, you know. And it's sort of I don't I don't know. Like I've kind of come to this idea now that I think all creativity all yeah, I think all creativity is from God. Whether people use it to glorify God or not is is their choice. But I actually have sort of come to a place where everything that's creative comes from the creator and we just have a choice in how we use it. And that for me has just been a really big shift for me and a massive, yeah, I guess a big haystack that was burned in my life personally and has become a really big part of my journey. Um, I think that, uh, I, I thought you said you're going to say something because Laura's have been deep, but that's pretty deep, Josh. That's so um, deep. I love it. <laughs> okay. love it. Oh, thanks. But the whole notion is, and I think there's a, uh, something that could be said there around when people do come to Christ, oftentimes it takes form in quite an extreme change of what they have been doing. Uh, and that's neither right nor wrong. It's just part of the journey for using the most cliche term on the planet. Um, <laughs> but the the notion that you've kind of come to, Josh, which is perfect for the, the podcast, is that you've recognized that things can be redeemed, like Jesus is the redeemer. And just because something isn't Christian inherently doesn't mean that it's evil. Yeah, Yeah, so true. I'd like to also add that um, God as a creative God created us to be creative. Yeah. And so all these things that we've made, like, um, you know, movies or games or, I mean, I don't really know what Warhammer is, but (laughs) all of those kinds of things. Sorry. Um, he he instilled in us that creativity. And so we can create things that are not necessarily like, quote, Christian things, but um, our creative expression still honors him because we got that from him mm-hmm. as yeah. our father. Yeah, really beautiful. I love the I love the creative God. It's my favorite, my favorite viewpoint of God. Mm. Oh, so, that's cool. Um, uh, all right. Well, finish us off, Laura. Lead us home. Sorry, guys. This is always my stuff's always so heavy. Okay. No, it's great. So my final milestone of faith um, is the political issues that we've been facing in Australia in the past um, decade, particularly in the past five years, um, and how Christianity has intersected with politics. Um, has been really eye-opening and quite confronting for me to really work out what I believe and why, both politically and from a faith perspective. Um, So I will just give an example of this. And what I'm expressing is my personal opinion and does not reflect Burn the Haystack or any of you guys as pastors. Just disclaimer. But, uh, for example, when we had the... um, the plebiscite in Australia, which was basically the government was like, should gay people get married, be allowed to get married legally, yes or no? And then we all had to vote via post, yes or no? And I was a big fan of yes. I was like, sure, um, that's fine by me. So I enthusiastically ticked yes and sent it back. And I saw a lot of hate messaging coming from the no campaign about how those people were evil and stuff. And I know a lot of gay people and I work with them and everyone in my workplace again is of course voting yes, because they have no reason as to not vote yes. Mm. Um, Anyway. And so I was quite in. in 
gay theology, I guess, as it's sort of called, is like how, how does God express his love for people who maybe are homosexual or maybe just don't fit our cultural norms, and he totally does. Um, anyway, and we had some pastor come to our church, this church I was trying out when I moved to a new place, and preach this big long sermon about how the gay agenda was destroying Christianity and destroying society as we know it, and um, how hurtful it is both to themselves but also to us as Christians and basically just a disgrace. And um, I was really shocked by that. I thought how openly you could just preach your political propaganda. I don't know. It was really confronting. And um, at Mm. the very end of his sermon, I was trying to listen because I learned from my experience in 2011 where I put myself in someone else's shoes and learned the beauty of conservatism. And I was reminding myself of that. And I was trying really hard to understand how he was applying those Bible verses to this topic. And at the very end, he said that uh, the conference that he was from had donated a significant amount of money to the No campaign because as Christians, we wanted to back that. And people in the congregation were like nodding and saying amen and hallelujah and stuff. And I was like, I felt like I'd been, you know, punched in the face. Like I felt so shocked and horrified because I'd been going and attending and giving my money and I just started working full time. So I had more more disposable income than I'd ever had before. So I was giving a lot more to the church. And that really shocked me because I was like, wait, that was my money. And that's not at all what I intended it to go to. Um, Anyway, and I just, I hopped in the car and I drove home and I cried the whole drive home. I just felt so, so shattered by that. Anyway, and um, that really was confronting to me because I was like, oh, if that's what Adventism stands for, I don't know if I'm an Adventist because I don't believe that. Mm. And then like how much of a, of a denomination do I need to agree with in order to call myself that thing? And do I want to call myself by that name if people from the outside are going to be like, oh, you're an Adventist, so you don't like gay people? And I'm like, oh, no, that's not at all. That's not what I want. So um, it's that challenged my identity and my labeling, I think. And then again with um, the women's ordination and again with uh, all of our votes on abortion and again with the Israel Folau situation um, and all of these things that kept coming up, I was like, wait, am I aligning myself with people who believe that way by calling myself Adventist or Christian or anything? And um, I find nowadays when I introduce myself or if it comes up at, at for example, work, people respond a lot better to me saying, I, def- you know, I definitely have a faith and it's an important part of my life they go, oh, yeah, that's great, and they respect that. But if I say I am a Christian or I am, you know, a religious person or I am a Seventh-day Adventist, they kind of go, oh, religion, religion is bad, religion means this, and religion is assigned to politics. Mm-hmm. So if I, I tend to bring it back to a personal level because it gets across to other people better, it's like I have a faith and it's important to me, but also because I'm scared to take on the label mm-hmm. and that, has changed my faith and my mm. relationship with God and my church significantly. Yes, yeah, so that's my, sorry, that's a heavy third milestone, but that's my third milestone. I think that's a, like really brave to, to say that, Laura. And the mm. reality is, I think, as we, we head into this next, this next decade, the way in which we do church and the way in which we do theology and the way in which we kind of treat people 
who may have differing views to the organisational standard, for lack of a better term, mm. is going to have to change. Uh, I think it, one of the things that, I, again, I've been dwelling on recently um, is a lot of people talk about we're wanting to, to return to historical Adventism. Um, I actually think that's a fallacy. I think people are wanting to return to fundamental Adventism yeah. because, for me, historical Adventism is quite a a, a free-thinking, let's-burn-haystacks type of Adventism. Definitely. And that's not they the were, Adventism yes. people want to return to. They want to return to these are the rules, these are the standards, these are the behaviours that are acceptable, abide by these or you're out. Which is really a, a version of Adventism that didn't exist until the early 20th century. And it's not yeah. us. It's something that was thrust upon us. It was not something that we came up with ourselves through inspiration or through, you know, discussion or whatever. It was kind of, mm. this is what we want to Definitely. be now. Let's be, let's be fundamentalists. Yay. We're all going to be fundamentalists. Yay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I think I think what you're going through, Laura, there, and I think it's something that more and more people are are going through the same thing because something, and I've been reading a book on this, in, like, but basically, it Adventism has gone the way of like constantly and constantly like being more specific of their definition of what Adventism is. So then everybody who doesn't fit that exact definition feels more and more out of the crowd. Um, this is like when they. Um, they had the vote, oh, what was it, 20, 2011, I think maybe it was, um, when they changed the wording in the um, the fundamental on um, creationism. Oh, yeah. To make it more like a literal seven-day creation. Yeah. And then all the people who weren't literal seven-day creationists who might have been more like creationists but maybe something more along the lines of a theistic evolutionist or something like that, all of a sudden, without anything they've done in their own, all of a sudden they were less Adventist because of something they had no control over and somebody else's voice. And pretty much since then, we've been constantly spiraling towards that way. So I think it's, and especially with like what we've talked about already with like the current political situation and that sort of, there's these massive divides and different directions, everything is pulling us. It's, I think it's only going to be something that we're going to see more of in the next decade. And it's, um, I don't know how we tackle it, but it's good to talk about it. Yeah. And I think as I think as you mentioned before, you know, this has become a highly politicized issue. And uh, as soon as we politicize uh, this issue, it becomes as you know, I, I'm glad that we mentioned politics and fundamentalism, because I think this this issue and many of the issues that you're struggling with, and let's be honest, that we all kind of struggle with to a certain degree, they're not going to be solved until we can let go of the fundamentalist enamorment in enamorment that we have as a church not just in our faith tradition but in christianity uh in general um because fundamentalism ultimately is about making rules and deciding who's in and who's out it's not the version of christianity that jesus had in mind and it's certainly not the version of christianity that any of our early faith pioneers had in mind when they when they were enamored by jesus um and so yeah Oh, well, I think that's, uh, I don't know, a pretty cool place to, to lay the plane. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, that's uh, such a pastor's term. <laughs> well, I am a pastor, so I guess I, I don't know. What else could you say? It's a good place to dock the boat. Uh, I think it would have yeah. been better, given uh, you know Christmas get-up 
for those who can't actually see you to go, I think that's a great place to, to wrap the gift or something to that extent. <laughs> Land the sleigh? Land the sleigh! Yes. <laughs> Just for everyone listening, Josh is currently wearing a Santa hat while recording and he also has some kind of red festive vest on. <laughs> Very festive, straight from Canada. Has snowflakes and snowmen on it as well. Yeah, I feel like you could fit two Joshes inside that vest though, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> It's quite large. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a gift, and it's a very treasured gift from my sister from Canada. And uh, yes, so Carpi. I uh, I just assumed we were all going to get festive, but then I guess this is just what happens when you when you show up to the Burn Haystack Christmas party, and you're the only one who thought it was going to be festive. <laughs> so it's thank you for everybody those, for attending. For those our... listening, but... we're recording at we started recording at, at uh, nine thirty New Zealand time. Uh, or 8.30 8.30am New Zealand time 6.30am Australian time so <laughs> just be grateful that... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you everybody for attending thank you everybody for attending our Burn the Haystack Christmas party I hope you had as much fun as we did <laughs> time to hit the dance floor Yoo-hoo! <laughs> time to drink some Petriti Petriti <laughs> <laughs> Uh, very good. All right, let's r- let's wrap things up there, shall we? Um, Josh, uh, can you tell everybody where they can find us moving forward? We're going to be going into a bit of a a break pretty soon, um, as we've been talking about. We are going to be taking January off, but if people want to get in contact with us during that time, where can they find us? Well, for all things Burn the Haystack, the best place to go is burnthehaystack.com. Org. It has links to all of our social media and also a direct contact form so you can email us. Um, so make sure you head on over. Yeah, It's a, it's a great place. Josh Wood runs it. It's uh, all, things, all things happening there. Mm, very good. Um, and though this is our final episode of the year, our final episode of the decade, we will be coming back strong uh, in February of 2020. So over the January break, uh, I hope you guys have a great time off. Take some time for your family do something fun maybe go camping i don't know what you do in your time off but uh yeah we'll be we'll be still around you can still get in contact with us via the website or via our social media um and i hope that uh once we come back in in february you'll join us again we're going to be making a few changes to the podcast so once again big ups big thanks to everybody on the team who has helped us um josh and laura you guys are Da bomb, and uh, I'm just excited for where this thing is going to go in 2020. Mm, me, me too. too. <laughs> Woo! Yay! Go team! <laughs> yeah. Um, so hey, and feel free if you really need more burn the haystack, feel free to just go back and listen to some older episodes. We've got some some good ones way back in the catalog now. Where quite, I don't know, we're getting quite a quite a backlog. So you know, feel free to yeah. go back and have a listen to some of our golden oldies. <laughs> classics also join us in the facebook group and tell us what your three milestones of the decade were yes yes see that too that would be very good all right well thanks everyone have a great christmas and new year's we love you that is josh and jesse and laura and josh out
We did it, everyone. It's the we last episode of the year. <laughs>